0: You are listening to The Concierge on Monocle Radio. Coming up on today's programme, we turn to Charleston for a sear sucking slice of southern charm and check into a boutique hotel for a touch of high culture in the low country. From Stockholm to Munich, we put your questions to our concierge service. It's off to Taiwan for our lowdown on the East Asian island.
1: She recommends visiting any time between September to November when it's crab season and the fishing boats come in every day to a local harbour called Guihol with nets full and brimming with wild-caught crustaceans. And
0: we ask, should you take cash abroad? I always take a suitcase. We take a look at the world of
2: retail tourism. And we receive a letter from Basel. Basel's best rooftop bar, in fact, and one that gives views over the whole city. Under a striped parasol, you can enjoy a cocktail while scanning over Basel's ornate rooftops. That's
0: all to come on The Concierge in association with Allianz Partners. and welcome to the concierge on monocle radio with me robert bound and today we start in charleston that gorgeous port city on the coast of south carolina and joining us and to help us get our bearings in that fair city the holy city no less is ali smith who's the general manager of the pinch hotel in charleston of course ali welcome to the program lovely to have you on the concierge is it vacation weather at the current moment in charleston
3: Hello, and thanks so much for having me. Currently, middle of summer, so very, very hot, but beautiful, sunny beach weather.
0: (laughs) This is good news for us. And you've had your iced coffee. You're going great guns. You've got to tell us why Charleston is referred to, as it was in our introduction, the holy city.
3: Yes, Charleston is a very small little peninsula but it is jam-packed with loads of history and actually has just so many churches. You can't miss one on every street corner. I think it's the highest number of churches per capita of any city in the US. So that is why it is holy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice one. So people can go on a pilgrimage there um, if they don't like the the food and beverage options, I suppose. So let's take a bit of a brief look at the Pinch Hotel itself, Ali. It looks like you're in a beautiful spot. You're in Ansonborough, a kind of historical part of a very historic city. But could you give, uh, could you paint a little picture postcard for our listeners, if you'd be so kind?
3: Yes, we are just in the middle of of the downtown area in the Historic District, so right off of King Street, which is sort of the main drag for shopping and nightlife and dining, uh, historic tours. The building is really interesting because it's kind of tucked away off of the busy street down a little cobblestone alleyway, but right in the hustle and bustle to kind of be the perfect gateway to Charleston
0: nice and you are describing you're sort of describing yourselves aren't you the pinch as a boutique hotel now a lot of things these days fall under the b word or are protected from the rain by the b umbrella how many rooms does the pinch have and where might we eat and drink in and around the hotel
3: yes uh we're only 24 rooms so definitely a boutique. so you're bijou and
0: boutique that's that's good
3: Yes, yes. There's no shortage of amazing cuisine here. We have some of the best seafood. There's so many wonderful raw bars and seafood restaurants. Of course, the Low Country cuisine is going to be that soul food just to really warm the belly. Um, And then you have a nice little mix of, you know, Italian, Mexican, that whole scene is kind of growing and diversifying. There's some really great Indian restaurants that just opened and it's kind of expanding, but there's probably 30 restaurants within a five minute walk from the hotel.
0: If we were to plan an itinerary, alley, what about the different neighbourhoods of the city? There's a wealth of sort of religious history. There's all sorts of other sort of things going on in town as well. You mentioned 30 restaurants within a stone's throw of the hotel as well. Is the city split up into sort of little bits? There's a, maybe an arts district, there's a dining district, there's a, there's a kind of business district. Or is it all kind of one big happy melting pot? I mean, I guess you've got a lot of water going on around you as well, which naturally splits up the city, doesn't it?
3: Yes, exactly. Being uh, you know a peninsula, we do have, of course, the southernmost part of the downtown area, which is all surrounded by the beautiful Charleston Harbor and all of the antebellum houses. It's purely residential down there in the historic district. They call it South of Broad Street. So South of Broad is sort of the postcard of Charleston. And then the rest of it is definitely kind of sectioned out into different boroughs and neighborhoods. You have the French Quarter you have, of course, where we are is the fashion district with all the beautiful shops. And then you have Upper King Street and some of the new up and coming areas like NOMO, which are really drawing, I think, a lot of a younger crowd and some fun new businesses and breweries and uh, really livening up the the northern part of the peninsula as well. But yeah, every part of the historic district is just right around us. And it's really only about a three-mile-wide little downtown area, so you can cover a lot of ground, whether you stay for two or three nights or you want to really be here for a month and explore, you know, the surrounding islands and branch out a little bit.
0: And just tell me, you might or may not be able to tell me this, I'm trying to guess at an accent, Ali, but we mentioned southern manners in our introduction. It's something that beguiles the overseas visitor, the British visitor perhaps especially to a certain extent, but tell us how they feel like if they have been updated for the 21st century and how, how sort of a southern mindset and southern manners bear themselves out in the hospitality industry, maybe.
3: Yes. uh, You know, chivalry is certainly not dead here. And and you can, it's tangible when you're in Charleston, even just the neighborly, you know, attitude of everybody on the street corner. You know, I saw a couple that looked like they were very confused and lost just the other day, looking at a map, and then you had a local come in, oh, how can I help you? Where are you headed? Here's the best place to eat. Just very, very friendly. And it's a bit of a, a slower mentality. Nobody's you know, in a rush or pushing anybody out of the way. They walk slower on the sidewalks here. It's just about having that joie de vivre and, uh, you know, sort of that hospitality mentality, which carries through from the many, many hotels here into just the everyday, you know, life.
0: Ali, it's so nice having you on the programme. Thank you for uh, dialling in to the concierge uh, and have a lovely rest of the summer at The Pinch and indeed uh, in Charleston. It sounds like a wonderful place. So thank you very much.
3: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: That was Ali Smith, who's the General Manager of the Pinch Hotel in Charleston. And now it's time to open our own Little Black Book, the part of the programme where we look to our correspondents around the globe to answer your questions. The Concierge Desk is open for business. And first up on the line, we have Jared Gordon from Toronto. Jared, welcome to The Concierge. Lovely to have you on the line. Is it vacation weather in Toronto? Uh, Normally, it's it's raining right now, but hopefully it'll clear up in a couple of hours. Okay, nice one. You're You're doing a Sundance. If you don't mind just holding it for the five minutes that we're on the line, our producer does dispute the sound of dancing feet. And I'm getting a nod from the control room. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're off to Stockholm and to Sweden, perhaps more largely on your holidays. So what's your question for our concierge service?
4: Yeah, so having read about the Edham Hotel in the Monaco pages for a couple of years, my wife and I decided to celebrate an anniversary there in the early fall, and we're looking for any other highlights, things to do on a on a four-day, five day trip to the city.
0: Nice. Well, yeah, Edhem is a wonderful place to use as a base camp for exploration of Stockholm. And with the lowdown on what to do in Stockholm, friend of the programme, Monocle's transport correspondent and resident of that fair city, Gabriel Lee, has this for you, Jared.
4: Many autumn activities in Stockholm will be weather dependent, but if you look out with crisp and clear days, I'd highly recommend getting outdoors as much as possible. This is a very walkable city, so that could be as simple as just strolling around. But also, there's nothing quite like getting out on the water via Stockholm's public ferries. You can simply ride one from Gamla Stan over to Jugorn and continue your stroll, or you can go further afield. Even aimlessly taking the commuter ferries around town can be a very nice way to see the city. Don't miss the Moderna Museet, which always has something special and worthwhile on display in addition to the permanent collection. Among the many great museums here, this is the one I return to most. The Artipelag Museum is also worth a visit, mostly for its location out in the beginnings of the Stockholm Archipelago. You might also combine that with a day visit to Yasuragi, the Japanese-style baths out in Naka, for some forest bathing and relaxation. Otherwise, consider a Tunelbana ride just south of the city to the enormous, park-like Skoog's Gordon in Enjuede. And while you're down that way, plan to stop for lunch at Matateljen, where you'll only have a couple of choices on the menu, but they will always be good. If you find you've had enough of pickled herring and prawn sandwiches, but you're still on a seafood kick, don't miss the tasting menu at Sushi Show. Easily the best sushi in town. For a more informal dinner, head down to Södermalm. You've got dozens of great options here, but I can recommend Rust, a cozy and lively pizza place hidden inside an old mechanics workshop. Finally, have you really visited Sweden if you haven't made a stop at the ABBA museum?
0: Nice! I didn't realize that was going to be a rhetorical question from Gabriel there. (laughs) so he screeched screeched to a halt jared um quite a nice low down there a controlled but vivid description of a weekend in stockholm did that float your municipal ferry or boat honestly it sounds
4: terrific i hope we can you know maybe pack a picnic on the ferry or something like that
0: yeah nice pickled herring are you a fan and if so do you go for mustard or plain salt
4: Uh, You know, I I have been a plain salt guy, but I assume the amount that we're going to be eating it, we might have to kind
0: of change it up a little bit, try something new. Yeah, you might, you might, you might be very good at swimming home or something. And also saunas. I know that they are more of a rural Stockholm thing, but we urge you to get your kit off and jump in the jump in the sea as well. That's just a no, that's just know, a note I'll from us
5: personally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Jared. Well have a wonderful uh, have a wonderful holiday. Enjoy Ethem and indeed the rest of Stockholm. Jared, on the line from Toronto. Thank you very much indeed. And bon voyage. And next up from London, we have a question from Elizabeth Reynolds.
6: Hi, concierge. I'm looking forward to the rediscovering Munich during the Quality of Life conference in September and plan to travel there by train from Zurich. Could you please provide suggestions for any nice lakeside hotels along the way? Somewhere that's relaxed but with good Bavarian food would be ideal, and if it could be a short walk from some fine architecture and a spa, even better.
7: And with the lowdown, it's Monocle's man in Munich, Yannick Schmidt. For a lakeside stopover on your train ride from Zurich to Munich, There's one obvious destination midway Lake Constance, one of the largest lakes in central Europe, where Switzerland, Austria, and Germany meet at the edge of the Alps. The train stops in two towns on the shore of the lake and both are worth visiting. The first is Bregenz, best known for its summer festival of classical music and opera in a unique architectural setting. The world's largest floating stage with stands for 7,000 visitors glancing over the water into the setting sun. Musically, the festival is centered around Vienna Philharmonic, who traditionally descend to Bregenz for six weeks as orchestra in residence. By the time you visit on your way to Munich in late August, this year's show of Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini will have ended, but you can still visit the stage. A 10 minute walk along the lake takes you to other architectural gems. The local cultural exhibition center Vorarlberg Museum, and Kunsthaus Bregenz, a contemporary art center designed by the Swiss Pritzker Prize laureate Peter Zumthor, with a facade made of more than 700 glass panels. The second train stop is Lindau, with an old center that is actually an island in the lake. It is characterized by medieval buildings and historic lakeside villas and gardens along its so-called Bavarian Riviera. There you can check in at Hotel Bayerischer Hof. The five-star hotel has an outdoor pool and restaurant with a lake view and some Bavarian cuisine. So, a well-suited prelude to your subsequent trip to Bavaria's capital, Munich.
0: If you have a question for the concierge, do write to us, send your questions to concierge at monocle.com. And my thanks to our concierge service from Gabriel Lee and Janek Schmidt there. And next up, we're off to Taiwan. Just
8: like the Monocle team... Allianz Partners is committed to helping you build exceptional experiences. Allianz Partners' reputation for excellence and the continuous drive to innovate means the business is uniquely equipped to accompany its partners and customers with their ever-changing travel needs. So get out there and visit the places, enjoy the experiences and meet the people changing the world of hospitality for the better. Allianz Partners. Get the most out of your experience with peace of mind.
0: Taiwan's reputation as a destination has been growing apace as tourists from around the world are discovering the spectacular gems that it's been hiding for decades, from wild hot springs to mouthwatering night markets to stunning mountain railways. For the lowdown on the northeastern coast of the formerly known Formosa Island, which means Beautiful Isle, Taiwan resident and reporter Clarissa Wei sent us this dispatch.
1: If you're planning a vacation to Taiwan and want to get a bit off the beaten path, consider a trip to the northeastern coast of the island, flush with old fishing villages and beaches. With the exception of the dog days of summer, it's a wonderful place to meander through all year round. From Taipei, buses are available from the City Hall bus station. It's only about an hour's ride out, but for a more relaxed experience, I recommend taking a rental car. Start off your day at the Geo Geopark, a rocky cape that extends out to the sea. It's dotted with sand dollar fossils and haunting rock formations that look like morale mushrooms. Stroll around, snap some photographs. The geopark is a great vantage point to take in the sea and spot fishing boats in the distance. This is Tan Jinghui, a tourism manager at the Geopark. Park. She says the park was opened in 1964 and became a tourist attraction after a photographer took notice of a rock on the beach shaped like a queen's head, regal and with a tall crown on her head. Today, the park attracts millions of visitors from around the world, most of them entranced by the honeycomb textured rocks dotted alongside the water.
6: Pre-pandemic, she says, one of the busiest
1: years was 2014. We had over 3.3 million visitors that year. Tang moved to the north coast of Taiwan 44 years ago and fell in love with the sea. She recommends visiting any time between September to November when it's crab season and the fishing boats come in every day to a local harbor called Guihou with nets full and brimming with wild caught crustaceans. It's a sea crab, she says, and the fishing grounds is where two currents meet. That area is really rich in microorganisms, and so marine life is abundant. You can buy the crustaceans directly from the fishermen at Guiho and have food vendors whip up a meal for you on the spot. Open daily from 10 a.m. to 6, the market has a supply of freshly caught seafood all year round. Then, if time allows, drive 30 minutes east to the port city of Jilong to Bad Mama, a quirky cocktail bar and restaurant owned by husband and wife team Adam Hunt and Gemma Lin. Flanked by one of the largest fish markets in Taiwan and located right next to a temple dedicated to the goddess of the sea, it's a lovely place for a nightcap.
8: I'm Adam. I'm one of the owners of Bad Mama in Geelong with Jamma. We call what we do here the art of extreme sustainability because all of the decor, the furniture, the art has been built p- from what we found on the beach, in the streets, in abandoned buildings.
1: Bad Mama is a bar built out of scraps. The bar is made out of an old fishing boat and the furniture cobbled together from driftwood. The walls are adorned with Gemma's artwork, quirky paintings and paper dolls hanging from the ceiling.
8: This space was a 150-year-old derelict building right in the middle of the fish markets behind the temple to the great goddess Mazu. So it was a complete mess. I mean, we're talking rats as big as cats. The place was filthy, it was overrun, it was disgusting, and we fell in love with it at first sight. It took a lot of work to gut it, rewire it, replumb it, and make it what it is now.
1: In many ways, the space is an ode to the northern coast of Taiwan, where Gemma was born and raised. She spent many years abroad, in Japan, and then Australia, where she met Adam. But the seaside villages of Taiwan are where she feels most at home. All these
5: coasts and there, it's got a beautiful water, but then the people live there are still quite a village style people, so they all still keep in this original favor, original style. They still like sitting in the street and drinking their beer and talk
1: really, really loud. And then that's the culture. And if you still have the stamina? step outside of Gemma and Adam's bar an hour past midnight into the largest fish market in Taiwan where boatloads of fish are auctioned off each evening.
8: The fish markets start every night at one o'clock in the morning and they go until dawn every night except Sunday. It's almost like a scene from a Fellini film, a Federico Fellini film, only it's in Asia. You see hammerhead sharks being dragged up past our front door. You see the most incredible array of fresh and live seafood for sale. The sashimi, the tuna.
1: So whether it's for the views, the seafood, or if you're just in need of a weekend getaway from Taipei... The northeastern coast of Taiwan is just the place for a day of relaxation.
8: I think the coast is much more beautiful than the city. I mean, I've lived in all the big cities. I prefer things that are a smaller scale. I've done my time in New York and London and all those places. You know, the place itself, it's, it's not a particularly beautiful city, it's an industrial port. But we are right on the coast and within minutes from the city, they are the most extraordinarily beautiful beaches and coastline and mountains and villages and incredible fishing villages.
0: Monocle's Clarissa Way there reporting from Taiwan. Next up we posed at the conundrum. As the world moves slowly towards favouring contactless over cash, we ask if we're missing a trick by travelling without folding money. Monocle's Tom Webb explores the world of retail tourism by going on a shopping spree with Sasha Zachariah, CEO of Change Group, the world's third largest international bureau de change company and author of the book, Leading
6: Travel and Tourism Retail. There's a big difference between whether or not you're going on business or whether you're going on leisure. So data actually that's available from Change Group, the the company that I co-founded three decades ago, which has beer de and ATM networks across Europe, North America and Australia. What we're seeing is that 90% of our customers are leisure tourists. They are not business people, because let's be honest, when you're on business, you're going to a meeting, you're handling things very much on expenses, and therefore it tends to be plastic that rules. However, when you're on holiday, things change dramatically. People have more time to ponder, to consider what they're going to be purchasing. They're going to be more experiential, more experimental. And therefore, cash becomes really important. It has many, many benefits. One is the immediacy of it you, you know exactly how much you've got to spend at that moment. The speed of the transactions is much higher. But what's fascinating is that you get discounts, of course, with cash that you simply do not get. If you go up to a, a market, Or if you go into even a a designer store, they will very often provide a a small discount or sometimes even a larger discount, depending on the country, because they get paid immediately. There's no chance that the credit card company will come back after three months and say, no, you know what, there's been a question on that transaction. We're taking that money off you as a retailer. You're not paying fees to the credit card companies. And as a consumer, you have absolute certainty. And in a world that's becoming sometimes a little... In a post-COVID world, shall we say, a little more unsafe or uncertain, the certainty of having cash is one that reassures a lot of people.
5: So why should I fly halfway around the world to buy an item if I could get it online, or can I even get it online?
6: So you can get a lot of items online. The sad thing is you don't know whether or not, especially in, in... the more luxury designer spaces, whether or not it's authentic. So there are issues around that. Certainly I have friends and family who have made purchases and then subsequently found out, actually, no, it's not the original genuine item. So that is an issue. Certainly when you touch and you feel an item... You can either fall in love with it or realise that isn't quite right. And it wasn't something that you realised from a photograph. But when you look in the mirror, when you touch it, when you pick it up, when, you've, when you smell it, all those sights, sounds, tastes, all of them become really important. And that's the joy and one of the fun things, quite frankly, of international travel, is being able to walk into a new shop and see something that you hadn't expected to see and go on,
5: That wasn't what I thought I was going to buy. But you know what? That's really brilliant. So we're going to put your knowledge and expertise to the test now and hit the famous London Marlebone High Street. You ready to go shopping? Absolutely. Okay, let's do it. We are outside the Institution of Selfridges. Let's pop inside the gigantic brass-lined doors here. Can you tell us why... Selfridges is such an uh, institution on the London High Street so along with Howard Selfridges is one of the most iconic
6: buildings in England and the shopping experience is second to none you walk in there's a dormant to greet you the smells that waft straight into your nostrils um, the, the way in which your, your eyes suddenly see all the different colours and the different designs it's fabulous it's a total experience And it's something that's different from what you find in any normal department store or high street. And that's what's so exciting, is the the range. It's um, the way in which people are interacting. You, You look around at the customers. They're coming from all around the world. You're finding Chinese people. You're finding people from Africa, from South America. It's exciting just looking at the very people who are here to experience what Selfridges is.
5: I completely agree with you. Looking around, we've just walked straight into the handbag section. Please navigate me to the nearest handbag that's caught your fancy.
6: Well, quite frankly, you should be asking my wife at this point for all of that. This is such an incredible environment where you have so many different brands and designers. I mean, Hermes, of course, is one of the the most well-known. The Birkin bag is something that so many people aspire to, but even if you wanted to buy it you'd have to join a, a wait list which can extend to multiple years even if you're prepared to spend the tens of thousands involved in that product. One of the things that's very interesting about super luxury brands at this point is in the post-COVID world there's so much demand that manufacturers and brands are unable to meet that demand and also indeed choose not to meet that demand because they want to keep it special. There's data out there suggesting that super luxury brands are only meeting approximately 20% of the total demand level of consumers which means consumers of course are craving them, they're willing to pay a higher price point, they're willing to travel and to shop and to find something special
5: Well it's got a lot quieter and calmer now as we've entered the food hall, not many people associate England with good culinary delights, I'd love to know your take on Selfridge's food hall So self Food Hall is fabulous because every single
6: counter that you look at has got something specialist. Not only have you got the raw ingredients, a fabulous fish counter, you have amazing fruits and vegetables, but you've got all these packaged goods with tasty gourmet treats from Japan to Mexico. And all of that's surrounded by individual little areas where you can sample and taste the foods. So there's a, a sushi counter. There's a fabulous place where you can go and get noodles. One of my favourites was actually coming as a young boy with my father to the salt beef stand, where a gentleman who worked there for over 40 years actually sliced salt beef
5: consistently, six days a week almost, for uh, 40-odd years. So, we are standing at a cheese counter. Now, I know that England is very famous for its cheeses. Is there any cheese knowledge you can impart to me? So, I love cheese. I love great cheese. And one of the things that's
6: really come up in recent years are the specialist cheeses being brought out. And goat's cheese in particular, I think, is really good. So, there's a, a brand called uh, St Helena, which is very, very good. Philly does a fabulous cheese. There's a whole range of, of new ones to be discovered from English producers who are quite small, invariably, and they're not particularly exported. So coming here to England, to London, is where you're going to be able to sample these.
5: Wonderful. And you mentioned the fish counter. What local fish should I be having for lunch? So local fish, obviously we're in London, so
6: not too many fish around that you can go taking out of the Thames. That said, England is an island, and we create some of the best fish that's around. So the waters around here actually have some incredible lobsters, amazing oysters, really terrific crab from Dorset. And one of the things that I love is that you can go and buy a sea bass or a a Dover sole, take it home, grill it, add some sauces, do whatever you want to it, and it's fabulous.
0: Monocle's Tom Webb there, shopping with Sasha Zacharias. Well, he might. Next up, we receive a love letter from Basel, or to it, to be more precise. With its Mediterranean-like climate and 300 days of sunshine per year, as soon as summer arrives in Basel, the city truly comes into its own. With festivals, street parties, open-air concerts and open-air cinemas, Monocle's Jack Simpson
2: sends us a letter from his favourite city. Basel is best known for being packed with museums and hosting the world's most notorious art fair, Art Basel. However, in my brush with Basel, I found it hiding something a little more to my tastes. Good wine and great food. I took some arduous time to meander up and down the Rhine, outside of Fair Season and its airless trade halls, to explore the city's culinary and thirst-quenching offerings. As I traverse the cobbled streets of the old town, the warm hues that coat the city's buildings and hand-painted signs, Welcome me to a bounty of shops, restaurants, and bars. The first of which is a new spot opposite the marketplace, Kuniangund. Outside, wine lovers and peckish locals sprawl down the street or unwind on the terrace. Its interior is decked with spruce wood, and its furniture, Spruce 2, is inspired by Enzo Mari. Its founders, Tobias and Tim, welcome me in with their signature Tasmanian devil. Gin, elderflower, lemon, tonic, a sprig of rosemary and some cracked Tasmanian mountain pepper, which gives the drink its purple tone. We sit and chat about how in little over a year they've become a renowned spot. To eat, seasonal open sandwiches are the order of the day and I advise getting a couple to share. After Kuni and Gund for lunch, take a walk down the iconic Middle Bridge and down the Rhine's East Bank you walk past schools of folks enjoying games of ball under a canopy of trees that shroud the coloured buildings which line the path. Behind an inconspicuous looking door and up several flights of stairs is Amber Bar. Don't stop, go inside and through the dimly lit, extroverted bar area towards their roof terrace. Basel's best rooftop bar in fact and one that gives views over the whole city. Under a striped parasol, you can enjoy a cocktail while scanning over Basel's ornate rooftops. (laughs) Finally, after some time soaking up the sun and roaming, thoughts turn to dinner. Volkshaus Hotel's 1920s brasserie provides the perfect setting. It was redesigned by Herzog and de Meuron but its elegance has certainly been preserved. A veal schnitzel or tartare are standouts, but it's the service, particularly from Marion, the hotel's assistant manager, that will leave you ordering drinks long past finishing dessert.
7: That
0: was Monocle's Jack Simpson loving and reporting from basel in switzerland and that is it for today's program thanks to our guests ali smith and sasha zachariah our producer was tom webb our researcher monica lillis and our studio manager callum McLean. if you have a question for the concierge do drop us an email on concierge at monocle.com join us next time we'll be exploring summer in sicily amongst other things i've been robert Bounds. thank you very much for tuning in and happy travels